Hello, my name's Luke, and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. On this week's episode, we will investigate the case of Gloria Ramirez, the toxic woman. When one California woman turned up to hospital, 23 doctors who came into contact with her became strangely ill. The bizarre events have inspired wild theories and been the inspiration for TV producers from The X-Files to Grey's Anatomy. However, it's never been satisfactorily explained what exactly happened on that fateful night. Was the hospital involved in a massive cover-up or did different factors come into play for this freak incident? We'll start by discussing the night that Gloria Ramirez was taken into hospital. Gloria Ramirez was a 31-year-old American housewife and a mother of two children. She was a doting mother and volunteered at the local elementary school in Riverside, California, which is about an hour away from Los Angeles. In late 1993, she was diagnosed with advanced cervical cancer. In the late evening of the 19th of February 1994, Ramirez collapsed at home and her boyfriend rang for an ambulance to take her to Riverside Hospital. The paramedics in the ambulance gave her oxygen and Ramirez remained conscious but seemed very confused. She had an advanced heart rate and difficulty breathing. When she was taken into hospital, Dr. Julie Gronkowski, a medical resident, injected Ramirez with various sedatives to sedate her and stabilize her heart rate. Ramirez's heart rate temporarily stabilized, but it quickly jumped up to a dangerously high rate again. So the staff decided that they would defibrillate her heart to try and get it to calm down. Now, to defibrillate is when you get out the paddles and you say clear and you shock somebody's heart, just in case you're confused. When cutting open Ramirez's clothes, the staff noticed that her body was covered in a strange oily sheen. And they noticed a fruity, garlicky smell coming from Ramirez's mouth. The nurse, Susan Kane, drew blood from Ramirez's arm and stated the blood smelled like ammonia. When she passed the syringe to Dr. Gronkowski, who examined it, she noticed strange light-coloured particles in the blood. Now, some people describe these manila particles, or other people call them beige crystals, but it was a small, fine kind of build-up inside the syringe, which was very odd. The nurse who drew the blood, Susan Kane, slowly began to show signs of losing consciousness, and soon collapsed and was rushed out of the room on a gurney. Julie Gronkowski, who began to feel ill, left the room to sit at the nurse's desk. She quickly collapsed soon after sitting down. A third member of staff, Maureen Welsh, soon collapsed and was brought to the emergency room. All three complained of headaches, nausea and burning in their throat. Soon after, the emergency room was evacuated with the head doctor, Humberto Okeka, and a skeleton crew remaining in the hospital to treat Ramirez. However, by 8.50, 45 minutes after she arrived, Ramirez was pronounced dead, with the doctors claiming it was kidney failure in relation to her cancer. Now, the staff quickly moved the body into isolation. However, the two nurses who moved the body both became violently ill and started to vomit. The hospital began to have to treat patients in the car park because they had a fear that the entire emergency room was contaminated and a state of emergency was declared. All the staff affected, by this point it was about 15 staff that were suddenly becoming ill, were told to strip down and their clothes were put away into bags for safekeeping and to test them for chemicals while they were hosed down with decontaminants to try and make sure that they weren't spreading any toxic chemicals to the other people. Now, about two hours later, a hazmat team arrived to the hospital to detect the toxic conditions inside. The hazmat team entered the emergency room to search for what caused the illness, but they found nothing. There was no toxic chemicals. However, nothing was found 
The hazmat team decided that was something was wrong with Gloria's body. They decided to quarantine her body and move it to a cold, isolated room away from everything else in the hospital. The bizarre news caused a media circus because of when a state of emergency was declared, news crews came faster than the hazmat and the car park from a safe distance reporters were filming. So at this stage, there's about 20 hospital staff and they've all been incapacitated, while five are rushed to the emergency rooms of other hospitals. When Gorkinski was taken to the hospital, she reported that the nurse had difficulty taking her blood and when she did, they found the same crystals that they had found in Ramirez's blood. It took her two weeks to leave the emergency room with her illness, and Gorchinsky had developed hepatitis and avascular necrosis, which means a lack of blood going to bones. And this caused, especially around her knees, a death of the bones. So for the rest of her life, she had to walk with crutches. Other doctors and nurses who had attended the scene suffered from similar problems. Susan Kane suffered from aphasia, which is a form of memory loss connected to speech, while five of the doctors at the new hospital who are treating the sick doctors suddenly became ill after they treated them. So this is spreading from one hospital to another, but only five doctors, it's not as bad as the first one. And when they searched the doctor's clothes, they found no toxins on the clothes. So still very confusing. The course was autopsied in a state-of-the-art chamber purposely built. Because this was a massive news story, they decided they, they would put all their resources into building a state-of-the-art autopsy chamber just to make sure that they could get the correct answer for this. The coroner wore an airtight hazmat suit and the room was completely sealed off with no chemicals getting in or out or even no heat getting into the room or no air conditioning getting into the room to stop the spread of chemicals. But when he investigated the body, he found Gloria Ramirez died of natural causes. I'm air quoting there. However, they found an access of a compound called dimethanol sulfone, which is a benign compound in the body. If you want to know what that is chemically, it is DSMO2 with two oxygen. The body was kept for a further two months for testing, much to the family's chagrin. Because this was such a big major story, the California Department of Health and Human Services put two top research scientists to investigate what had happened. And county officials began to release statements saying this was the most baffling case in local history, which had also ramped up press. So the press were pretty pumped to learn what had happened here. They conducted interviews with 34 staff members who had come into contact with Ramirez, and they gave them a standardized questionnaire to see who had suffered from what illnesses. From this, they discovered that the people closest to the body and those who had handled the IV lines were the most likely to have fallen ill. However, they noticed something that they thought was odd, that most of the people, like a vast majority who were taken ill, were all women. From this, and a lack of chemical evidence, the two research scientists believed the hospital workers had suffered from mass hysteria. They pointed to the fact that only hospital workers had become ill and the EMTs who had brought them to the hospital remained fine. So there clearly wasn't a toxic chemical, according to these two. Now, it's important to note because they're saying this is because of women employed. The two research scientists were actually both women. Uh, one was Dr. Anna Maria Osova and the other was Kirsten Waller. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a sexist decision. They thought this was the medically prudent decision. When we're thinking about mass hysteria, 
it's better just to describe this. So mass hysteria, which is scientifically known as a mass sociogenic illnesses, or just even a sociogenic illness, is a poorly understood thing by medical science because when a mass hysteria happens, it never really happens under uh, scientific conditions. It's very hard to measure it. It's mostly anecdotal evidence, very little lab testing. These outbreaks all tend to have common qualities. First, there is no plausible organic basis for what happened. There's not like you throw anthrax on the floor and people suddenly stop dropping. It tends to be spread by things like sight, sound, speaking, not by a, like what you would call chemical evidence. It tends to be spread quickly and it happens a lot more in women than it does in men. Common symptoms of the disease are headaches, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, all which happened to the staff who became sick at the Riverside Emergency Hospital. Famous mass hysterias have been St. John's Dance, where in medieval Europe that uh, a lot of people would just start dancing and they couldn't control it and they couldn't stop. And a lot of people ended up dying of dehydration or just uh, exhaustion because they've been dancing for 10 hours and they didn't know how to stop. Or another mass hysteria would be the anthrax attacks after 9-11 in the United States where many people falsely thought they'd been sent anthrax when there was something else benign. And they began to feel like they were suffering some disease and their body began to show signs of actual harm. Although the substance was benign, it was all psychosomatic and their bodies began to react to that. Now, if you want to give this a test, here's a good test to see how a hysteria can work. Buy a bunch of non-alcoholic beer and give it to your friends and tell them that it's alcoholic. Then wait for three hours. If they're normal people without any form of hysteria, they won't be drunk. But trust me, they'll all psychosomatically think, I've been drinking beer, so I should be drunk. So within three hours, some of them will be slurring words and some of them will probably be stumbling, even though they have practically no alcohol in their system from non-alcoholic beer. But there's an argument against this mass hysteria that the scientists proposed. Many disagree with the diagnosis of mass hysteria because many of the doctors and nurses who collapsed said, due to their own medical histories of working as doctors and nurses for 30 or 40 years, it would be highly unlikely for them to suddenly become violently weird like this, like they had experienced it thousands of times. Many felt that it was just the Department of Health in California just wanted a quick and convenient cause to blame people who uh, were got sick and to alleviate fears from the local community and to also help this hospital where this had happened. And many people were upset by this. So Gorchinsky filed a $6 million lawsuit against the hospital stating that it was caused by other factors, she hadn't become sick, and the hospital was to blame for negligence. Some of the other people who were afflicted claimed that uh, they had been unaware that other people had become ill. That they said, look, if I'd seen her faint, maybe I would have fainted, but I saw no one faint. It just suddenly came over me and I went. Many also started to petition the coroner's office to uh, get a different explanation. They said, look, the Department of Health has failed us. Coroner, you need to tell us what's up. The coroner contacted the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, which is a secretive federally funded lab, to come up with an explanation. Now, the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory are really the elite of the elite to do with a lot of things which are black and shady for the government. This is where they developed thermonuclear weapons technology. They also developed the Star Wars program to shoot down nukes from space here. A lot of this is kind of black ops and, you know, super smart people, but you wouldn't always hear what's happening there. So 
they've got a pretty legit people looking into this. When the Livermore Labs investigated, they began just to look at the excess of dimethyl cellphone in her body and began to create the theory of what caused it. Livermore theorized that the dimethyl sulfane, which was in her body, came from a substance called DMSO, which you can buy in a hardware store or stuff like this. And it's not really a medical cure, but it's used as a home remedy to stop joints from swelling and is frequently used by bodybuilders, but sometimes used as a kind of painkiller on muscles and joints. So they theorized that Gloria had been using this due to her cancer. They also said this was probably the reason why there was an oily sheen around her body. And DSMO smells a bit like fruity garlic. So they said this is where the smell came from. They claimed the usage of DSMO, she was using it in such a way that it pretty much via osmosis entered the bloodstream. So a lot of this DSMO was now in her bloodstream. And when she had fallen ill, she had gotten into an ambulance and they had given her an oxygen mask. And the excess of oxygen started to turn the DSMO to DSMO2, which is the mysterious compound dimethyl sulfone, which is found in her body. So they say this cream plus oxygen turned into what was in her body. But they also had some more theories. When they started to test this, they tested DSMO by putting pretty much an oxygen mask on top of it. They noticed that it turned into the compound DSMO2, but it also began to have little white crystals or even pinkish crystals began to appear, which when there was oversaturation of oxygen. Now, these crystals were extremely similar to those that were found in the syringe. So they thought, ah, we've come up with an idea here. Livermore started to think, what could have caused this gas? And they thought when the body was breaking down, you've got DSMO2, which is a relatively benign compound, but wouldn't cause this. But via the body being shocked by a, a defibrillator and enzymes inside the body because it's dying coming out, that the compound could have begun to break down and reform and it could have created a different compound, DSMO4, which is four oxygen modules and or molecules. When you've got four of them, it turns into a hazardous gaseous compound which is a kind of like nerve gas, which will make people sick and ill, very similar to mustard gas. So the coroner saw these results when uh, Livermore were discussing them with him, and he immediately released this, saying this was the official verdict of what happened. The problem with this was they had created DSMO to DSMO2 in a lab, but you couldn't really turn DSMO2 to DSMO4 very easily. When the British broadcaster Channel 4 tried to recreate it, they deemed it impossible over several scientific tests. And other people tried it and again, widely said, under the circumstances, this is impossible. Well, people in the lab said, look, you don't know what happens when the body breaks down and there could be weird enzymes, so it is possible and people can't disprove this, it was still not seen as the best solution. The head of the lab actually openly had to come out and state, it was only a theory. We never said this was actually what happened, just that people should look into it. They began to backtrack, say, look, look, we said this is the coroner, but he should have kept his mouth shut. And people, which is mostly Gorchinsky's lawyer, is the person I've heard this mainly from, has claimed that the result was released for political reasons, as the coroner who released the information was seeking re-elections in five days' time before he released it, so five days to election, and he wanted to release it so he could say, here, 
here's a definitive answer. So when you go to the polls, you know the coroner is on top of things. There's other people, and again, I'm not a scientist, but I've been looking into this, who say uh, dimethyl sulfate, which is with four oxygen modules, which is the uh, poisonous one, needs heat to expand. And it's questionable if it was in a cooled operating theater that would allow it to expand rapidly enough without it dispersing. It wouldn't have come out quickly enough to get everyone sick. Well, the Ramirez family also had a theory about what had happened to Gloria. They suspected it was foul play on behalf of the hospital. It took 10 weeks for the Ramirez family to receive Gloria's body back, and they had requested it much earlier so they could get a private pathologist to check the body for them. When it was returned, they found the body was missing its heart and many of the vital organs were cross-contaminated with faecal matter, so the pathologist couldn't make an examination. Her body was also so badly decayed that an autopsy was impossible. I would have thought if you're keeping the body chilled enough, there would have been some form of autopsy that they could have done, so maybe a little bit of foul play was going on there. The Ramirez family believe Gloria's death was linked to hazardous conditions already inside the emergency hospital. And there was some evidence to back this up, because there have been strange occurrences happening in the hospital for a number of years. When the deputy coroner initially looked at Gloria, he said that she had not died of natural causes. But when the autopsy came out, he had changed his mind. A second strange occurrence was that Stephanie Albright, who was the initial investigator from the coroner's office, committed suicide a month into the probe. The coroner's office came out and said she may have had too much pressure on her. But again, something quite suspicious. Third, the syringe which had Gloria's blood in it was tossed out. So this was supposed to be kept, but they threw the syringe out and no one could ever find it. The blood sample of the crystals was lost. Strange occurrences had happened to the hospital a number of years before. For instance, three years before Gloria's death, a steriliser in the hospital had leaked poisonous gas and had got two doctors very ill. A year before, sewer gas was found in an operating room causing mass illness. So this is not exactly a shocking sign of bad practice. I was talking to someone who works in the medical field and they were telling me that this sort of thing happens a lot more than you'd like to give credit to. There was claims from the family, had Gloria not gone to that particular hospital that night, she would have probably survived. And there was other strange things too, that when the research scientists had interviewed all the people and come up with the diagnosis of mass hysteria, they had taken a blood sample or looked at the blood samples from the night and they noticed in the blood that there was definite signs that the people had been inhaling some form of pesticide. And they also noticed the same thing with Gloria Ramirez's blood. They said the amount of pesticides that would affect them, she would have had to be wearing pesticide infected clothes for months for this to happen. But strangely enough, when they were checking out the operating theater, they found a faint hint of pesticides covering the room. So all over the room, there was a faint hint of pesticides. So different people were questioning, had the hospital used pesticides to clean up around it? And had this use of pesticides somehow affected Gloria Ramirez? And there's also claims, which comes from, I haven't seen this replicated apart from in a 1994 television show for CBS, where they report that before the hazmat crew arrived, that they sent people into the room and they completely cleaned it top to bottom. 
the hospital went in and cleaned up straight after Gloria Ramirez died, so not to give any clue to what really had happened there. And there's a third claim, which is that a sink in the operating theatre had a strange yellow liquid in it. And there was a paper came out for Forensic Science International, which claims that this liquid was probably urine. And somehow there could have been something like bleach in the sink, or somebody was trying to clean the sink with bleach. And mixing the bleach and the urine suddenly created a very toxic gas. So that's why you shouldn't ever pee on bleach because it will release a dangerous gas. And they're saying, now this is what could have happened. So all of these would kind of indicate that the hospital was at fault. But again, not exactly concrete proof. So that is all the evidence of what happened to Gloria Ramirez. And you've got the three things, just to go over the three things that you could say it was. You could simply say that she died of natural illness and somehow a mass hysteria went over mostly female doctors in the hospital and they all collapsed and that people like Gracinski is suing because she doesn't want to admit that uh, she was in the wrong for this. But again, this is a strange one. Uh, the next piece of evidence to remind you is compounds broke down this DSMO and uh, caused a gaseous gas to appear. Again, a strange one. And the third one, that the hospital had a cover-up and something had went really wrong in the operating theater. Pretty much they held the body so no one could find out and there was collaboration from Livermore Labs and collaborations from the California Health Service. And again, a bit strange, but if you take those three theories, I'm just going to say, I think, and I was talking to someone involved in the field of medicine, that the idea that they moved people out to the car park makes it sound like there was a legitimate toxic incident happening. Because whatever happened, moving people out to the car park, that if Gloria Ramirez had died because they'd given her aspirin and she was allergic or some other like medical mishap, I think that they would have just made up an excuse and got rid of the body. But the fact that there was people fainting and stuff like that, I think that this probably was some form of toxic thing was happening. And I would tend to believe that this was actually not mass hysteria. And a lot of these hospital practices seem a little bit questionable. I would tend to, just saying from myself, believe that it's probably a cover up from the hospital. This would just seem to me the most likely that I know that they, they've got compounds smashing up and causing gas. But again, it's very questionable that could have happened. It would need some exact circumstances and would have needed an exact temperature in the room for the gas to expand and to affect people. So I tend to rule that out. Again, mass hysteria, I think that's a cheap way out. I think that something was going on in the hospital either like bleach and urine mixing together and causing people to get sick or some form of medical mishap that people didn't want to admit to. That's just my opinion. Now, I've looked at other people's opinion online and there's a lot of non-evidence-based weird opinions. So I'm going to mention now, like there's stories about, uh, if you look up uh, Gloria Ramirez, 17-year I finally found what killed her. There's a guy who's claiming that uh, it's all to do with uh, Filipino people making meth in the hospital. And this meth pretty much was you being put in IV bags. And somehow 
they gave meth to the woman, which is pretty ridiculous. Another person saying like they were making biker speed in the hospital and it somehow got into an IV bag and it poisoned. Again, don't make the most sense. If you believe these and you really somehow hear this, would you please send me a message and explain why it makes sense? But to me, they sound very like one of them was actually a creepy pasta based off it, so I wouldn't trust anything to do with it. Uh, yeah, one other thing, the crystals in the blood. A lot of people say that the crystals in the blood were only seen by the two women, and I can't find anybody else who actually saw them. That Gorchinsky says that the hospital, that her blood in the second hospital had crystals, but there was never a nurse came out to back up that uh, thing. So again, I'm not sure that Gortinsky just didn't want to claim $6 million and that was the easiest way to it. I would say that's the most likely thing to have happened. But uh, yeah, tell me what you think. Uh, I would like anybody who hears this just to send me a quick email at uh, scapegoatpodcast at gmail.com or contact me at Twitter on uh, scapegoatpod. I would like to thank Paul, and you'll know who you are, for uh, giving me some of the medical feedback. I would also like to uh, just generally say, uh, like my thing on iTunes, subscribe to it if you want. Uh, hope you like this and enjoy it. Uh, I'm not probably going to release a podcast till the 20th of October. I've just had, I this has been a bit late, but uh, I know I normally release something every 10 days to two weeks. This has been almost three weeks, but I'm just finishing off my master's at the minute. And uh, yeah. <laughs> It's pretty hard work, so finding time to do this episode was a bit challenging, but I decided I wanted to do it within three weeks, but this is just a warning. I get off on the 20th of October, so probably from then I might try and release like two or three episodes in two or three weeks, but up to then, don't expect anything, but if I find time or one of my interviews comes through, I'll release it. But thanks very much, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.